politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Welcome to the Dad Presents, you guys. I am so happy you are joining me today. We got an amazing guest today. We got Dr. Peter McCullough. You've probably seen him on Joe Rogan. He got the most views I think Joe Rogan has ever gotten. Something like 60 million people watched that episode. He blew up the internet. He blew up Twitter. He got canceled everywhere. It was amazing. That episode opened my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't know but was suspicious about. So you're going to love our interview with him. Um... You can see I, I'm not wearing a Band-Aid anymore today. My nose is finally healing up. This is permanently now what it's going to look like. Just a big, red, keloided, shiny thing. That's life. I was a beautiful man for 49 years. Now I look like this. I got to deal with it. You learn from your mistakes. Uh, I want to jump right into this interview. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor, ExpressVPN slash The Dad. You need an Express VPN blocker to make sure Google, the government, uh, make sure you're not being tracked. Make sure your data remains yours. Make sure what you're doing on the internet remains private because shit's getting weird out there and you want your privacy. Even if you're not doing a damn suspicious thing, you want your privacy because they're going to use your information against you or they're going to use your information to sell you some bullshit that you don't need. And given this current financial times that we are in, you need to be saving your pennies, not buying crap on Instagram. Okay, so expressvpn.com slash the dad, you will get three free months, three free months. They don't even charge you till the fourth month. There's not a better deal out there, people. So get it. All right. Now let's get into the interview. All right, you guys, Dr. Peter McCullough is an internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist managing cardiovascular complications of the COVID-19 vaccines. He was one of the few brave doctors standing up against the authoritarian partnership between pharmaceutical companies and government. Now he's got a book out. It's called Courage to Face COVID-19, and it's all about his battle. He's a highly published doctor. He's testified in front of Senate, and he was on the Joe Rogan Experience last year and, and pretty much single-handedly broke Twitter, broke CNN, and broke a lot of leftist brains. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the brave work that you've done. Thank you for coming on the show today. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So right off the bat, I want to make sure not to bury the lead. Uh, you're one of the world leaders in COVID-19 treatment. You use a sequence of effective low-risk drugs. So what are those drugs and what have your results been? Yeah, you know, the, the reason why I got involved in COVID, it was a great unmet need. Our virologists and infectious disease doctors were totally subscribed to the inpatient service. <clears throat> to this day, there aren't any virologists that I'm aware of or any infectious disease doctors who are actually managing complex patients as an outpatient. So in many ways, I have a lot more experience and now uh, you know, research experience as well as scholarship experience than even a virologist. So I, again, within the scope of practicing internal medicine and cardiology, I maintain my boards in both specialties. I'm qualified to manage upper respiratory tract infections. And so the innovation was early in 2020, working with a group of doctors in uh, between Italy and the United States, and then later on a giant collaboration by the end of the year, uh, we arrived at the observation that there are three major phases to the illness. The first is bioreplication. The second is cytokine storm or inflammation. And the third is a thrombosis or blood clotting. So we needed approaches that actually handled all three phases of the illness. So we knew that a single drug wasn't going to be good enough. We just knew that from the very beginning. So any, any statement that, oh, we should just use this drug and that's going to handle it. We don't even do that for a staph infection. I didn't buy that for a second in SARS-CoV-2 infection. And so uh, what was arrived at is, uh, is we looked at drugs that had signals of benefit in the literature. We didn't expect large definitive clinical trials. To this day, we don't have any large definitive trials. For this type of illness, we'll need 20,000 to 40,000 patient trials and treatment. They don't exist. 
So we're just looking for signals of benefit and acceptable safety. So one of the first things we learned that is really up top and uh, very, very important is virucidal nasal washes. So we've learned that actually uh, using dilute povidone iodine or dilute um, hydrogen peroxide, squirting up the nose, sniffing it back and spinning it out as a thorough nasal wash and gargling supported by 12 studies, three high quality randomized trials, markedly reduces the duration of infectivity, reduces the need uh, for oxygen or being hospitalized. So very, very important. We do this in all the patients now, uh, standard of care. Uh, beyond that, there is a nutraceutical bundle, which is modestly helpful. Uh, and that's zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, and over-the-counter famotidine. Famotidine is probably the most powerful in that grouping. Recent paper by Mira and colleagues demonstrated over 20,000 people, those who took over-the-counter famotidine, had about a 45% reduction in progression of disease. I, I've not, I, I don't know that, Jack. What is it called? It's pepsid or famotidine. Oh, it's pepsid. Form of, okay. Yeah, it's a form of an, an acid. Uh, that also has antihistamine, antiviral properties. So it's a very useful drug. Um, and then uh, after that, for high-risk patients, we can use monoclonal antibodies. They're pretty scarce right now, but we're using beptilimumab, which is the Lilly product. And then after that, we have a, a, a step down to community standard of care antivirals. And the first year, hydroxychloroquine was widely used. The second year, it was ivermectin. Third year, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir. I think the antivirals are fine. Each one of them has some nuances. I mean, you know, they play a modest role. They're definitely not needed. Uh, we know there's protocols in South Africa as well as uh, South America that don't use any antivirals, and they do fine. The inflammation layer is really important there. So we know that inhaled budesonide, supported by three randomized trials, it's a steroid, oral steroids like prednisone, very important. Uh, oral aspirin, oral colchicine, and other anti-inflammatory. And then in very high-risk patients, people bed-bound, nursing home patients, wheelchair patients, uh, we use uh, injectable blood thinners like uh, Lovenox or oral blood thinners like the novel anticoagulants. So in summary, it's about four to six drugs, drugs in a sequence um, approach that, uh, you know, four to six drugs for each person. In general, we're looking at people over 50, multiple medical problems, or those who prevent with, present with severe symptoms. It's about 25% of the adult population be treated. We've published and used home oxygen so we can manage hypoxemia at home. We don't need to admit people if the oxygen saturation goes low, as long as they're thinking okay and they have good support. We use oxygen concentrators at home. It's really rare that we have anybody hospitalized. We estimate now, wow. with everything I've described, 95% of all the hospitalizations and deaths are avoidable. You know, looking backwards, because there was wow. a learning curve, uh, looking backwards, probably two thirds of deaths and hospitalizations could have been spared with a wow. fully developed outpatient program. Two thirds. Yeah. I mean, th this protocol you just gave, honestly, that's the first time I've heard all of that start to finish. I've heard about a few of those things. I've heard about the nasal washes before. Um, of course the monoclonal antibodies, but all that long list, I've not heard it. So it's incredible. You're saying over 6 million people have died from COVID more than a million in this country. You're saying that that protocol takes care of 95% of people who become infected. And you believe you could have saved by those numbers, by that stat, you just gave me about 2 million lives. If we've been doing this. Yeah. Well, we, we could have saved about <clears throat> two thirds. So out of 6 million, we could have saved wow. four. If it was, you know, developed, if, if it was implemented at the time. Now in the United States, we had the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Frontline Critical Care Network. We had groups that, that stepped forward and really did treat patients. We had telemedicine services and things really kicked into gear when I testified as the lead witness in the U.S. Senate on November 19th, 2020. I told America, listen, if we don't get going, we're going to get buried. And, and we did. We got going. And uh, and I'm glad I did that. It was a historic moment for the country. And I think people really understood. Now, I tell you, now people know. People know if they get sick to get early treatment. There's nobody right now that are just sitting at home baking in this uh, illness. They get early treatment. Yeah. So early treatment is the key. But still in in media and from our government, we don't we don't hear this message getting out. Like I think most Americans, you're right, they know now because there's been so much in alternative media um, about early treatment. 
But we don't get that message from Fauci. We don't hear that from the government that early treatment is key and that here's the protocol that works. Why are they so reluctant to embrace that and spread that message as hard as they spread the message about the vaccines? You know, that's the topic of our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. It's a a top bestseller at Amazon, multiple categories. The reason why this has all occurred is actually the government has had an interest in not promoting early treatments, actually suppressing early treatments in order to promote the vaccines. So we have a problem of conflict of interest. Our CDC and FDA are the named sponsors of the vaccine programs. They're not sponsoring any early treatment programs. They have a vested interest in getting a needle in every arm, and they've turned a blind eye to safety. They're willfully blind to safety because they are actually executing a clinical program. The FDA should never be leading a clinical program. It should be a safety drug advertising watchdog group. CDC should be a data analytic group. This setup has been disastrous for America because they haven't promoted a single treatment, even ones that really work like monoclonal antibodies. You never hear about it. Well, you just said that that though there's not many of them available. Like you know they work and it's it's hard to get them. Why are they not at least available? You don't have to talk about it, but why aren't they available? I think it's intentional suppression. I mean, there's was a paper in medical economics in 2020. We had pre-purchased plenty of these. Every urgent care should be stocked with these, every hospital. It's intentional. I'm telling you, the suppression of early treatment is intentional to promote fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death to force these vaccines on the population. It's clear. It, it certainly seems that way. But what is the motivation? Like, why do they want, is, is it money? What's the, the motivation to force vaccines on people? You have to ask those who are really promoting the vaccines. You know, many doctors uh, do not treat COVID at all. They don't care to treat COVID. They don't even refer patients. They completely abrogate their duty to treat. And then all they do is promote the vaccines. So some of them force the vaccines on their patients. You have to ask those people, what are they accomplishing by doing this? Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you ab- about the doctors because like, We've had on uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, we've had on Dr. Uh, Mary Talley uh, Bowden, um, a couple others. Uh, uh, there's a few brave doctors like yourself, like Dr. Robert Malone, who are out there doing the right thing, talking in public about this. But most doctors are, they're silent about it, or I don't know if they're scared or if they're misinformed, but it seems like the vast majority are lock and step with the government talking points. Do you think some doctors are just, just, I don't know, dumb or the cowards? Again, yeah, you have to ask them. No one will ever bring them on TV and ask them. You know, by the way, none of these doctors will even give public comment. Uh, they've been asked to come out and defend the vaccines. They've been asked to come out and tell us what they're thinking. They, they won't come out and tell us. I had a patient today uh, have a, a doctor tell them that uh, he wasn't going to give monoclonal antibodies. He thought they weren't sick enough. He told them, that uh, he didn't know what the vaccine event reporting system was. He'd never heard of it. And then he told them that all the patients in the hospital with the illness are unvaccinated. And, and, and all of those are erroneous. I mean, we have data sets all over the United States and all over the world. The vast majority hospitalized are those who are fully vaccinated. It's just the opposite. You got to get one of these doctors to come on. America should wonder why do these doctors not come on TV or media and provide commentary yeah, or ask? They won't, any yeah, they won't even come on a show like this. Like I had one doctor I've asked, I've asked dozens of regular doctors. Um, they, they won't come on. I had one who was going to come on, but then I wanted them to like talk with somebody like you who's informed. I had another doctor lined up. And when I had somebody lined up to go against this doctor and it was going to be conversational, not a debate, then they pulled out. Right. They, they were willing to talk to me, but not to someone else who was informed on the other side. Well, you, should found- just, you should bring them on independently because we, we need to know what they're thinking. They won't talk to me. I walk into a major medical center every day. They look at the ground. They're ashamed of themselves. They know something is wrong. You know, psychologists think the doctors are in what's called mass formation. They're in some type of psychosis. They're brainwashed. They're confused. They know something's wrong. They have a sense that the vaccines don't work. And they're causing deaths and, and, and injuries and disabilities. Uh, they yeah. know they should be treating patients, but they're not. They seem like they're. People have said mass formation occurred with the Nazi doctors. The same, the same type of uh, mental 
appearance. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Dr. Mateus Desmond? Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we had him on the show and that was the topic of the whole show was, was mass formation. And uh, he opened a lot of eyes. Uh, he opened my eyes and it's, that's, it's really terrifying to think that, that all these brilliant people, doctors are smarter than your average person can just, can just fall prey to the same propaganda as the average person out there. Well, you know, um, the doctors, that's interesting when the vaccine program was rolled out, the very first people who got, who got the shots were actually not the nursing home patients, not the patients at risk. It was doctors. They actually got the doctors first. And the vast majority of doctors took these. They didn't ask any questions. They didn't even ask what it, what it is. It turns out it's the genetic code for the lethal Chinese Wuhan spike protein. You know, that was devised in a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China. These doctors took this stuff. I mean, that's the best decision I ever made. I said, no, there's no way I'm going to take this stuff. It's experimental. It's genetic. It's coming from a bad place with a bad code for a bad protein. There's no way that's going in my body. And these doctors took it. I can understand doctors taking it, but what you said, they, they asked no questions. That's what I can't get. How I can't understand how anybody would take the the shot without asking questions. And then when you hear things, I, I know, but listen, I'd say this much, you know, a 90 year old doctor who's in a nursing home, who's you know, you know, not going to survive two hours of COVID. I can see that up front, but not 25-year-old doctors. Come on. Or 50-year-old doctors. Come on. I'm 60. I've had COVID. It's like a mild cold. I wouldn't take a vaccine for that. Nobody would. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm about 50. I had it. It I was sick for two days. It was, I mean, that that's anecdotal, but I know so many people like that. And now they want to, they want to inject babies. Is there any I have two kids. Oh, well, at home. Our kids are not that. vaccinated. They, they we're in California, California. I'm worried come fall. They may not let kids in school unless they're vaccinated. Like it's going to be a legal battle. Is there any justifiable reason to vaccinate a healthy child? Well, I mean, just the fact that the FDA and the CDC moved forward with vaccination down to six months, that should tell you something's off the rails. This can't be about COVID, it can't be about public health, right? I mean, uh, you know, we just don't have vignettes of six-month-olds, you know, having trouble with with COVID. What we know is that the vaccines are not medically indicated. They're not. Uh, they're not clinically indicated. They're not medically necessary. Uh, we know that seventy-five percent of the children have already had it through February. The CDC told us probably closer to eighty or ninety percent now. In wow. on June twenty-seventh of 2022 uh, in the Texas Senate. I know because I testified there. The dean of the School of Public Health at the University of Texas at Houston testified that 99% of people in Texas have positive serologies. We've already been through it. Everyone's been exposed to this thing. So, uh, so no, children wouldn't have any need. Now in the registrational trials, Frank and uh, Walther, New England Journal of Medicine last fall, the, the vaccines made the kids sicker than just getting COVID itself. There was no reduction in spread, no reduction in hospitalizations or deaths. It doesn't mean because the kids don't get hospitalized or die. Uh, we know in a paper by House and colleagues, MMWR, December 31st, 2021 issue, uh, they were grossly unsafe ages 5 to 11 and 12 to 17. And parents were reporting the kids were getting incapacitated in the V-safe system, very sick. Uh, we saw 5 to 11. I looked at the safety tables there. I'm a cardiologist. You know, evidence of heart damage in ages five to 11 by cardiac. Wow. Listen, I can tell you, notice that I am easily citing the literature now. I know the first author name and where it was published and when. Do you know doctors who actually are promoting these vaccines don't cite a single paper? Our government officials can't cite the science. American Board of Internal Medicine, which is now hunting doctors, can't cite a single paper. Yes. Something is off the and they still rail. put it out there. That, you know, I mean, no, there won't be any, you know, no one wants to have a conversation about this. No scientific discourse. Just the only thing that's being asked is take these shots every six months and do not ask any questions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you, you just, you mentioned kids with heart trouble that that's not normal. That's not normal. And what we've learned, I, I learned this from Dr. Pierre Corey is that deaths amongst people ages eight, 18 to 50 have shot up to like record levels since quarter two of last year. And that's not his information. That's coming from insurance companies. Um, 
do you believe these deaths could be related to the vaccines? And why do we not even hear about this in the mainstream press at all? Like their job is to report on unusual things like this. Well, I could tell you one of the indicators that it is related to the vaccines is that it's not being reported in the mainstream press. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So censorship is a beacon for concern. Here, all the life insurance companies reporting record deaths, working age people, working age people get life insurance through their jobs. Lincoln National, two weeks ago, 63% excess mortality. The only new exposure is the vaccines. And so when people actually come forward, they can you can put it together on, the, on a Twitter feed today. I was watching a vignette of a father whose son wanted to play hockey. Seemed like he was Canadian by his accent. And the son missed a whole year of hockey, wanted to play the next year. He had the vaccines forced on him. He took the vaccine. He died within a few days of yes. a of a blood disorder. Sounds like he's describing vaccine-induced thrombocytopenia. There's, there's been athletes dropping dead all, all over the world. And I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. I don't recall that ever happening in my lifetime. Like just young athletes just dropping dead. Like one or two, okay. But there's there's been dozens of these. Well, and, and you know, the, nowadays the athletes are screened. The most common cause of an athlete going down is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And we screen by cardiac ultrasound, ECG, physical exam. You know, we just don't have those anymore because the, the science has advanced. The quality of the screening has advanced. So for these athletes, literally just have cardiac arrests on the field. You know, in Europe, it's about a thousand have had cardiac arrests on the field. It's unheard of. You know, there's vignettes of one after another. Wait, wait, wait another. Let's look. Slow down that. Did you say there's been a thousand cardiac arrests? Nearly a thousand cardiac arrests. Yeah. And uh, of those, about half get resuscitated, half don't. But but check on some of these vignettes that you can see these athletes going down. It's really stunning. The numbers just kept going up and up. But here in the United States, we just hear without explanation, former running back uh, Dallas Cowboys, Marion Barber. You know, we had former two-way player Dallas Cowboys, Deion Sanders, blood clots in his femoral arteries and they're amputating his toes. Uh, Deion Sanders, you know, pretty aggressive tweeting that he was a vaxxer, that he had taken the vaccines. Tony Saragusa, uh, Baltimore Ravens just passed away. Uh, A current Baltimore Ravens linebacker passed away. They said he took a drug overdose. You know, it goes on to number one draft pick in the NBA. First rounder uh, just died. You know, it's going to keep going. Uh, Nellie Corda, number two golfer in the world, has got a blood clot in her arm. Uh, you know, the setup there is called thoracic outlet obstruction. The vaccine causes hypercoagulable state. Uh, Justin Bieber's wife has a blood clot shoot to the brain through a patent frame in a valley. Again, what sets up the blood clotting is the vaccine. Justin Bieber himself gets Ramsey Hunt syndrome, another well-described post-vaccination injury. Now, remember that, you know, he wasn't letting people into his concerts unless he took the vaccine. This has been going on for a while. The very first public celebrity to actually go down was Hank Aaron. Former baseball great Hank Aaron, uh, early in January, he has a press release, takes the vaccine, feels great. A few days later, he's dead. And, uh, they, you know, the press carefully disconnect the two. This has been going on for a while now. The press does always carefully disconnect. And if you try to make any connection or even ask about a connection, you're likely to get canceled. We've been thrown off of YouTube a few times. We've been thrown off of Twitter. You've been highly, highly canceled all over the place. Now, just a couple days ago, um, Tucker Carlson reported that Pfizer last year, now I don't know if this is true, I heard it on Tucker, that Pfizer spent more money on television advertising than on research and development. Now, you know, myself, Joe Public, we can't go to a store and buy these drugs. So spending all that money on advertising on TV seems strange. Are they just, are they, are they buying off the media? Is that what this is? Pfizer is one of the most heavily penalized companies of all time. But, you know, I think, um, the real issue is that through court-ordered documents, Pfizer disclosed that they knew about 1,223 deaths within 90 days of release of their shot. They should have shut it down after 50 deaths. You know, and the FDA wanted to block that to America for 55 years. Yeah. So yeah. the FDA is in bed with Pfizer trying to conceal basically a, a, a terrible biologic product safety catastrophe. The FDA yes. is trying to cover it up. This is yes. really important. So, you know, it, while Albert Bourla- that, That's a fact. Let's not let's not gloss over that because that's a fact that I don't think most people know that Pfizer knew about this. They knew about these deaths and they wanted this kept un- under lock and key for more than half a century. And the FDA was 
happy to go along with that. Oh, um, it, it was actually even worse. The lawyer for the FDA negotiated. He said, listen, I don't want this released for 55 years. And they, there was a battle. And then he even doubled down and said 75 years. The said, judge said, no way. And so this was one of the first bundles that got out. If you go to the Public Health Professional and Transparency Review website, you can see all the documents yourself. They're, they're, they're Pfizer regulatory documents. So go to the Daily Cloud. Naomi Wolf is working with Steve Bannon. They're analyzing all this. It's terrible. Pfizer hired 600 employees just to take all the, the phone calls of all the people dying, their loved ones. I mean, what a disaster this is. And Borla's go out there on TV advising third and fourth shots. People should ask me asking them, what are you doing about the safety review on the deaths? Yeah, the look, this that's truly dark, and it can only be. It's interesting because it can only be like one of two things: either the FDI, F, F, FDA thinks that they are doing something good by repressing this information because they truly believe in these vaccines, and they're afraid the American people will be scared if they hear about these deaths, or there's some kind of financial interest that they have in these vaccines, and I don't know the answer to that. Do you, do you have any idea? John Leake, uh, who's my co-author on the book, Courage to Face COVID-19, he calls it the biopharmaceutical complex. He said the relationships are so complex. You know, when the Gates Foundation with the World Economic Forum formed CEPI, the Center for Epidemic Evaluate Preparedness and Innovation, you know, they got a multi-billion dollar budget and, and they said every pandemic and there will be pandemic will be a business opportunity. It'll be a business opportunity for a vaccine to vote. The amount of money floating around between the World Economic Forum, Gates Foundation, Gavi, Sebi, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, the Wuhan lab, Novavax, the other manufacturers, it's insane what's going on, the money train right now. And they know they can only do one thing that's in their interest, and that's get a needle in every arm and ask no questions about safety. Honestly, have no breaks in the program, don't even revise or update these vaccines, don't exclude any special risk groups, just railroad this on Everybody. the entire world's population. Everybody, right. They, they, they don't treat any, any other disease like this where it's just like one treatment, regardless of gender, age, sex, uh, your other right. health factors, nothing. There's nothing else that like this. I work in healthcare. I, I know this. Yeah. There's not a single other disease that they, they treat like this. Now, something you just said that was very interesting, you called it a giant business opportunity. I remember two things, you know, people on the, the right and left hate each other and argue with each other, but you got Dick Cheney over here and you got Hillary Clinton over here. And they both said during tragedies, never let a tragedy go to waste. And, it, and that's what this feels like. Like we had a tragedy and they're going to make some money on it. Well, I'll tell you, the money is flowing. Uh, you know, Pfizer and all the companies, Moderna. You know, how about this one? Stefan Bainzel, who's a billionaire. He was the CEO of BioMRU when Jacques Chirac commissioned BioMRU to build the biosecurity lab annex in Wuhan. That was Bainzel. He was already a billionaire. He actually helps the Chinese build the biosafety lab. Then he jumps from BioMRU, a billionaire and joins a one-person company, Moderna, in Cambridge. Then he starts working with the Chinese on the Moderna vaccine long before COVID ever exists. This is all in the open. Wait, what's, what is this guy's name? His name is Stefan Banzal. He's okay. the CEO of Moderna. This is in the wide open. It's, it's carefully documented in our book. It's also well-documented in the book by Peter Bregan, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. I mean, people have to ask questions. Why would a billionaire leave a large conglomerate French company and join a one-person company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, after he finishes building the Chinese biosecurity lab and starts working with the Chinese on Moderna's first product, which is a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2? Un unbelievable. I, I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know Moderna was a one-person company. What I did know is that Moderna started where it came out that Moderna started working on the vaccine for COVID-19 before we had COVID-19, which I don't know how anybody can just find that to be a coincidence, but something that uh, I believe it was Glenn Beck reported on, and maybe you know about this. I don't know if this is true. He said that Moderna somehow is partially owns, or I'm sorry, the government partially owns 
the vaccine through, through Moderna. Is that true? Right. The NIH co-owns the royalty rights to the Moderna vaccine. How does that even happen? How does this all happen? How can Moderna, a company that has no revenue, that takes a billionaire CEO from the French company that builds the lab and has him start working with the NIH and the Chinese years before COVID to make a vaccine against COVID? This is all in the open. This is the most contrived conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, but a conspiracy. And and John Leake in our book says, listen, there's two crimes being committed here. Clear. He's a criminal investigator. Fraud. You know, there's been open fraud. For sure. And then mass negligent homicide. People have been, it's, it's homicide. Yeah, I I pay way closer attention to this stuff than the normal person does, right? And still, I've never heard that guy's name before. That's how deep you have to dig to find this stuff. Like, if you're any journalist in the world, if they if they hear you say that, if they're worth anything, they would be investigating those details that, and you can easily verify it and reporting on it. But it doesn't happen anywhere in the mainstream media. You don't even you don't even hear stuff like that on Fox news, who is supposed to be the good guys these days. It's true. You know, people say, listen, you know, another curious thing, you know, something's odd where in the United States, you have Pfizer, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson. And you know, the employers, they just say, take any vaccine. It doesn't matter which one, just take any one. Now, since when, I mean, that's really odd. Should we, shouldn't we take the best vaccine? Shouldn't we take the safest vaccine? Why is it take any vaccine that vaccines didn't have equal efficacy even from the beginning. That's very odd. Do you see what I mean? You see the mm-hmm. oddness to this whole thing. Oh yeah. None of this makes sense. No, none of it makes sense. And what else doesn't make sense is, uh, okay. You're, you're, you're an expert in epidemiology. You're an expert. You're from what I understand, one of the most published doctors in your field in history. And despite all that, you know, you've testified before the Senate um, despite this, you were censored on YouTube. You were censored on Twitter. You've been censored by the mainstream news. Um, likely I won't be able to put this episode on YouTube because they're take it down. How is that happening in America? Like how are these social media companies also like caught up in all of this? And why does half the country seem to be completely okay with it? The social media companies are part of what's called the trusted news initiative. This was agreed to in December of 2020. They all said that they're going to bias the media to railroad people into vaccines. They're going to suppress anything uh, that would lead to vaccine hesitancy, like discussing safety. And they're going to suppress anything on early treatment. It's all in the open. The BBC announced that December 10th. The, the trusted media, what? Trusted news initiative. Trusted news initiative. So this is something that they all like signed and agreed <laughs> to do. They, they all said YouTube's medical director came out. He has this separate... Oh, press release. He said, listen, this isn't fair. He goes, we are only going to support the vaccines. Anybody who says anything that could lead to any doubt in the vaccines is going to be suppressed. Now, you and I would view YouTube as a place of commerce, as a common carrier. Twitter is a common carrier. You know, they don't have a right to put a filter on anything. They don't have a right to influence our First Amendment. No. Um, I mean, that's straight up. Neither does any telephone service or and anything else. So, you know, Twitter's being sued. Uh, YouTube is going to be hammered. So what you want to do with a program like this is you you can just audit out COVID-19 and audit out the word vaccine and it'll be survivable on YouTube. They're running uh, electronic programs against their listening programs. So it's something it's something I mean, that's straight up propaganda and something an interesting thing that came out yesterday that I found fascinating and really relates to this is uh, there's some actress. Her name's Deborah Messing. She was on a show called Will and Grace. It was about a, a I don't know. I never watched it. Something about a gay guy. And Messing called the White House and was apparently mad that Joe Biden isn't overturning the Supreme Court decision on abortion. I mean, she's an idiot. He can't. He, that's not in his power, but that's not the point. The point is. In this call, the White House was discussing talking points that she and other popular actresses could share on TikTok to get out the proper messaging. So they're clearly putting out talking points to famous people to put on TikTok. Now, this was reported on by CNN. So this is, you know, 
they're they're th- starting to throw the administration under the bus a little bit, which is interesting. But what what that makes has to lead you to believe is you see a lot of these montages where you see somebody on CNN, someone on MSNBC, sometimes someone even on Fox who will put out a talking point and sometimes use the exact same wording. That is the government feeding them this messages. And now we have some proof of that. That's not legal, is it? And if Americans can't turn to um, the media for information, where do we go? You know, I'm trying to quote the uh, legislation that did come through, I think, during Obama, but they actually did legalize propaganda. You can find it. It's, it's got two common names to legislation. Uh, what you're describing is what's called crude propaganda. Uh, remember, during the rise of Hitler, the Third Reich, they had an office of propaganda. They had an office of propaganda. So these are propaganda. When the government crafts talking points, that's called propaganda. So two good examples. In the summer of 2021, there was a talking point that said that the hospitalizations were a crisis of the unvaccinated. And in a single day, there was a montage that was on one of the major TV shows where at least 25 people said the exact same words. All of them yep. did. All of them did. Even Ron DeSantis said it. I was shocked. <clears throat> It yeah. was amazing. And then another one came in September of 2021, where uh, where in a single day, when on all the TV uh, late night talk shows, that ivermectin was only horse paste. Mm-hmm. So those are two examples of crude propaganda. Neither one is true, obviously. But uh, but the, there was so many people saying the same thing at the same time. There must have been a memo that was released or a bunch of phone calls. Yeah. The smear campaign on ivermectin alone was in incredible like they just straight up made up made up the rolling stone straight up made up a story that didn't happen about gunshot victims dying in line at the er because there were so many people in the er who had taken the the horse pace like completely invented out of thin air used a picture from something else that i mean and just what you said about uh propaganda has been legalized through something that obama did now that's a pretty big story any journalist worth his salt, that should be like the main story, at least for a week. I've not, I've not heard about that. I mean, I knew about that. I've heard about it on a, a couple other podcasts, but that's not like a mainstream news thing. And the, it affects the news more than anything. It's incredible. Journalists just are not doing their jobs at all. Well, uh, you know, at the Lincoln Memorial address on January 23rd, uh, I was the lead, you know, doctor who made the address from the steps of the of the memorial. But right after me was Dell Bigtree, and Dell, you know, gave a fiery speech. He looked right at the media stand. He goes, I'm, "We're going after you." That the media was complicit in all this. The media railroaded people into mass vaccination. And I got to tell you, when we count up the number of people injured, disabled, or dead after the vaccine program, it's going to be worse than a war. Way worse than a war. We lost 58,000 young men with Vietnam. This is going to be way worse than Vietnam. Will, in your in your opinion, at any point, will anyone be held accountable for some of these decisions, some of the lies, some of the misinformation? Will there be any accountability? No, I don't think so, because everybody is <clears throat> bought into it. You know, all the all the courts took the vaccine, all the judges, all the clerks, all the... You know, they they didn't even ask what's in it. They took it. So once somebody takes the stuff, you know, they feel like, hey, I took the risk. Sorry, I'm going to turn a blind eye to anybody else. I just talked to a family member today who took it. And I said, yeah, large numbers of people are, are dying. And she goes, well, I took it. I'm fine. It was like, that's not the point. Right. I mean, the point is that so many people have died. So as soon as someone takes the vaccine and they they're fine. They have zero interest in hearing about vaccine injuries. Zero. That means every judge in America could care less. Most uh, clerks, most other people on the bench could care less because I they I get that. I would think that if if I took it and then I started hearing about all of these side effects and consequences, I would be more interested in getting to the bottom of it because I might be at risk. Like that's so counterintuitive that people take it and then they just they don't, no, they don't care. I don't get that. There's something about the mass formation and also how the literature is rolling out here. You know, people who have taken these shots, you know, you know, what we've learned is that they there's a paper up on my Twitter feed 
that the circulating messenger RNAs is identifiable in plasma for two weeks. The spike protein you can measure in blood for a month. You can find the messenger RNA stuck in lymph nodes for at least two months. That's as long as they've looked in the spike protein for over a year. Yeah, This stuff changes the body. These people don't know. They, they don't want to hear this. Mm-mm. They're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I've taken three doses of this. Now I'm stuck. And so they don't want to hear about this. There's no absolutely zero inquisitiveness among those who've taken the vaccine. Like I say, I didn't take it. Smartest decision I ever made. I already had COVID in 2020. I said, listen, it's too late for these. It's genetic code for a lethal protein out of a Chinese lab in Wuhan. Am I going to put that in my body? What sane person would do that? Now, to be clear, though, please correct me if I'm wrong. That's only the mRNA vaccines like Moderna and Pfizer, right? Like the Johnson and Johnson, which they canceled. That was not like that. No, Johnson and Johnson still was the genetic code for the Wuhan spike protein. Now, what's different was Novavax is actually the Chinese spike protein itself purified in a small dose. And then the Sinopharm, Sinovac, Coronavac vaccines, those are the, the killed vaccine. They all have as a common element the spike protein. So in a sense, every vaccine used, in a sense, comes out of that lab in Wuhan, China. Who in the world's going to take that in their body? It turns out two-thirds of the world did. Two-thirds of the world have a touch of the biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China. Think about that. Pretty wild. Um, do you think, Do you? I mean, you couldn't possibly know this, but you know, a lot, you're right. Most people, once they've taken it, they, I, I have so many friends who have taken it and I send them information and they just pretty much tell me to stop sending the information. So I've, I've stopped sending it. Like they don't want to hear. Do you think we are going to start seeing some new symptoms and more casualties of this that haven't happened yet? Like, could there be some long-term effects that we've not even come to face yet? You know, there's a couple of things that are rolling. One is uh, there are some papers. Again, check out my Twitter feed, P underscore McCullough MD. I put the the manuscript um, face sheet on. Uh, There are some data both on the male and female side about fertility, which doesn't look good. So that could be a long-term thing. Uh, The male fertility paper by Gatt and colleagues does not look good. You know, there's a range of sperm count and a range of sperm motility. So men who are at the lower end of those ranges at baseline, the vaccine is going to clearly take them into the infertile range. Now, that'll only be for six months and hopefully a rebound. But if they take a booster, they're right back in it again. So uh, that does not look good. Well, that's super creepy. And also that, uh, you know, I, I saw a statistic somewhere that you would expect during a pandemic and a lockdown when everybody's locked in their home, that we would have another baby boom. Like the media was all projecting that we're going to have a baby boom because everybody's stuck at home. What are you going to do when you're stuck at home? It's been the opposite. We've had a regression in the number of babies, which there's no, there's, there's no logical reason that would happen that well, I can think of. Well, there is one reason, again, it's up uh, in the scientific literature, is that the respiratory infection itself drops uh, uh, fertility uh, theoretically okay. in women. So, and there was also a, a paper from China about um, about SARS-CoV-2 orchitis in men. So I think, I think the bottom line is you can almost look at anything and say that there's a risk with the respiratory infection, there's a risk with the vaccine, and then there's a super risk in people who are taking both. So, I mean, that's what's going on is, you know, the CDC says 82% of Americans have taken one of these shots. The CDC says well over half of America has gotten the illness. That's a lot of people who are- A lot of overlap. Yeah. A lot of overlap, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the the idea, the concept that these, these vaccines- they're kind of uh, they're made for an old version of the disease, and then we have a a new variant. And because the vaccine is supposedly protecting you against the old variant, it weakens your immunity against the new variant. Is there any truth to that? Right, and you're pointing up two papers that uh, I've quoted on national TV now, um, and I should be able to get these. Um, but they are by Aditi and Wheatley in 2021. And the papers deal with what's called immune imprinting, immune imprinting, which basically says if you keep giving the same exposure 
to an obsolete antigen, which is the original Wuhan spike protein, which is obsolete, the body is going to get entrained to basically train on, on this, that when you get the real infection with Omicron, the body can actually get a decent immune system going. And that's the reason why uh, there are more severe cases in the fully vaccinated. They last longer. There's two papers showing now the fully vaccinated papers by Buka and Hay. Buka is New England Journal of Medicine. Hay is the preprint server showing the fully vaccinated are infectious longer than the unvaccinated. And that data, anywhere where they're keeping a fair accounting of who's in the hospital, Canada, the EU, UK, South Africa, Australia, far more fully vaccinated are in the hospital than the unvaccinated. So it's yeah. clear the vaccines, because they haven't been updated, you know, even mm -hmm. a flu shot gets updated more frequently than a COVID shot. They, they are way out of date. Right. That, that, and that, that's interesting. That's something I wanted to ask you about, right? Like I was, I'm not an anti-vaxxer as I, you know, I got the flu vax. I work in healthcare. I used to get the flu vaccine every year after what we've been through here. I now trust the medical community less. I definitely trust government less. There's no way I will be getting flu shots anymore. Like the, I've had the flu. It's not, it's not horrible. I was getting it before to protect my patients. Um, what happens in an America when half the population <coughs> just completely stops trusting the medical community? Do we divide in the medical community into two branches like we have everywhere else? And, and there's now like uh, doctors and nurses who treat this type of person and then everybody else goes to this other type of person. Like what, what does this America look like if we lose trust in the medical community? Well, I tell you, I think about a third of America has lost trust. New York Times about four weeks ago said 35% of Americans are not taking the vaccine or they're not taking a booster. We know that 18% are clean right now, unjected. So that's 17% that are not taking boosters. That's a 35%. We don't have 35% of doctors who are with us right now. There's only about 10% of doctors who privately will say that the vaccines are not safe or effective. Texas A&M survey, confidential. So we have a mismatch right now I'm with you. I'm not taking a flu shot anymore. You know, the data came out this year from the NIH. You know what the flu shot offered this year? 16% vaccine efficacy. I'm not going to risk even the rarest immune side effect with a flu shot. They're just, they're, they're useless. Do you know what the uh, 13 valent pneumococcal vaccine, and we supported this in internal medicine practice forever. Data came out published in JAMA, protection against hospitalization with pneumococcal pneumonia, 9%. Nine. Anything wow. less than 50% protection. What's the point? <laughs> yeah. Anything less than 50% protection that doesn't last that doesn't last a year, you're done. I, I tell you, I'm done taking flu shots. I'm probably done taking vaccines altogether. I mean, I just honestly I've lost my trust. This whole I don't even want to say the word vaccine anymore. Yeah. And well, to call to call what they're giving us for COVID a vaccine isn't even a fair a fair classification of it because even by this the old standard of what a vaccine was. That's not this. This is like a new technology, mRNA treatment or something. Like it's not even technically a vaccine, is it? No, that's right. You know, David Wiseman, who's a former J&J &J scientist, he's testified at the FDA meetings multiple times. He makes it clear that the FDA classifies these as gene transfer technology. These are genetic treatments. They should have had five years of safety data. Uh, you know, traditional vaccines, two years of safety data. Instead, we had two months and then they got released. And and they Pfizer, had Pfizer had 1,223 deaths. It was a disaster right out of the gate. They went to multi-use files. Something happened. And, and Pfizer clearly went bad. I think they're probably just as bad with Moderna and Johnson and & Johnson. And, and no one's called them. No one stopped. Right. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no safety review. People should be uh, skeptical of why is there no monthly safety review. We always have that with big investigational programs. Now there's nothing. It's just all we're told is take it. Yeah. Well, people, people are, people are dumb. People are lazy. Um, and people for the most part in this country have had a good, easy life. So they don't, they don't ask a lot of questions and it's coming back to bite us right now, but I think a lot more people are starting to wake up and it's because of brave people like yourself. So I, I'm, I'm really grateful for the work you've done Dr. Robert Malone, like a, a lot of you guys, like if, if we didn't get that information from 
very few of you, like you said, very few, if we didn't get that information from you guys, we wouldn't get it at all. And then we'd be in some real trouble. So let me ask you about um, the death numbers. Like we, there was a while where that's all we would hear every night on the news. How many people died? How many people have it? We don't hear that at all anymore. Yet people are still dying. The number count is actually growing. I think right now, maybe not, but there's plenty of people who have COVID. Did they stop reporting on it because people have just lost interest or is there something more nefarious at work? You're right. We don't see the scoreboard up on CNN or MSNBC anymore. I just checked the Texas statistics on July 4th, zero COVID deaths, zero for a huge state like Texas. Oh, wow. Seven day running average, about 11 uh, deaths. Uh, You know, at our peak, we are ripping at 300 to 400 deaths a day. There's plenty of Omicron around. We're in the BA4, BA4, BA5 kind of after wave. And uh, there's plenty of COVID. It's very mild. We've taken a vaccine or not. It's very mild. Most people don't even need any drugs. Every so often we prescribe Paxovoid and prednisone and some other drugs. But I got to tell you, we're on easy streets right now. I haven't had somebody even close to being hospitalized now for six months. Wow, that's great. Well, from my from my rudimentary understanding of the evolution of of uh, these viruses, is they tend to evolve over time to be to become less dangerous because if they're super dangerous, they're killing off their host and they can't spread. Is that so? Is that right? And does that mean that it will con- we're continue to get uh, variants that are more easily spread but less deadly? It's true. It, in the absence of vaccines. Viruses, viral pandemics should follow what's called, or viral outbreaks should follow what's called Mueller's ratchet. Mueller's ratchet is this idea of you get to an evolutionary bottleneck and then the virus mutates and is able to find new, you know, new hosts. This happened, you know, a great example was the Omicron outbreak. We had gone through wild type alpha, beta, and delta, and the immunity was holding. If you had alpha, you couldn't get delta. I mean, it was really terrific. And then Omicron broke through natural immunity but it's, it's mutational confirmation allowed replication 70 times faster than Delta. So it could actually out replicate Delta in the nose. <clears throat> and once we formed immunity to Omicron, it closed the immunologic door on Delta. So Delta was literally shut off like a, like a fire hose was shut off. And then Omicron was here because of that replication speed. Now Omicron, because of the replication speed, it became a great target for the nasal washes. That's where the nasal washes came in because the virus was literally spinning up in the nose. And if you sprayed anything up there to kill it, you could really, it's, it's like, it's like a gasoline fire and you're able to snuff it out real quick. Okay, good. All right. I mean, that that's at least hopeful for the future. Um, we're, we're kind of running out of time. I want to ask you one last question, but you know, from what I've gathered through this, through this discussion and what you said about Moderna before it leaves a simple mind like my own to just like the logical conclusion that it seems like this disease was created in a lab by people who were creating the vaccine and they had the vaccine before the disease was released to the public. So it it seems like it was all possibly intentional and for money. Now that's just a wild conspiracy theory. I, I know, but that's what my, where's that's where my logical, simple brain takes me. I'm wondering if we will ever get to the truth. Well, 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 the truth is in, you know, the Peter Bregan book, COVID-19 and the global predators, he's got all the documents are all there. You know, the material transfer agreement between Moderna and the Chinese, if you want to see it, he's got it. It's right there. So this is all really open. Tell me again, where, where do you find that? It's called Peter Bregan. COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. I wrote one of the introductions. It's a foundational book. Uh, Everybody should have it because it really lays the connections. Uh, Another foundational book is the book by Robert F. Kennedy about the real Anthony Fauci to just let people know who is this person and why does he seem to have so much power in Washington. And then our book now, myself and John Leake, Courage to Face COVID-19. Ours is a story uh, which is a you know true story. It's a story about me and doctors in my circle. So it's different than the others. It's far more easy to read and understand because it's such a complex reality. But again, we have these important connections in here. What Bregan and John Leake and Bobby Kennedy says is when you see public statements 
Take them seriously. Okay. So when Bill Gates is on the front of a British tabloid in 2010 saying, uh, an aim is to reduce the world's population through mass vaccination. Take it seriously. When Gates says then that it's going to be the decade of the vaccines, take it seriously. When uh, when in Johns Hopkins in 2017 has a planning seminar, which they did, and they published on it, and they said it's going to be a SPARS pandemic. It's going to be related to, to MERS and SARS, that we're going to use social media and and mainstream media to railroad people into mass vaccination. When that's their planning exercise, take it seriously. They did it again in Georgetown at event 201. They filmed it this time. Take it seriously. When Klaus Schwab, who's in charge of the World Economic Forum, four months after COVID comes out, when he says we're going to use COVID to reset a new world order, take it seriously. This is all in the open. There is no conspiracy. There's no secret memos. This is in the open. The point is, take these seriously and understand what's going on. No one has expressed any concern about vaccine safety at the federal level. None. None. Our our president has said, get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, our CDC at the same time has told us through June 17th, 13,388 Americans have died. But the president says get vaccinated. But the CDC says 13,388 have died. The World Council for Health now, based on CDC, VAERS, Yellow Card, UDRA, and and, uh, VigiSafe system, say 40,000 people worldwide are certified dead after the vaccines. The number is probably much larger. And again, when the federal agencies don't say anything about death, you, you should be alarmed. I'm alarmed. Yeah, forty thousand people dying of anything. Someone, someone in government would mention it under any other circumstances. Like they've not even uttered it. So that is definitely nefarious. And when I hear you lay out all those quotes one after another, and I've heard all of those before, um, but when I just sat there and listened to all of them one after another from these very important, very powerful, very wealthy men, pretty fucking terrifying. That was that's pretty scary. So let me just ask you one more thing. I know we got we got to end this. Um, if you were there in the White House instead of Fauci, if it, if it, if it was you, like what was the biggest mistake that our government did? What would you have done differently? What I would have done is I would have uh, installed four teams of doctors. I would have had a team on how to reduce the spread of the virus and. That would have ultimately turned out to be the virucidal washes, not hand sanitizer or masks, but I would have got that team in. I would have had a second team on early treatment, third team on hospital treatment, and I would have had a fourth team on the vaccines. But it always would have been the four pillars of pandemic response. I published on this. You know, this was the framework of our Senate testimony on January 24th. And I would have had a lot of people in teams, not a dictator, not a medical dictator, but a lot of teams reporting. Because I tell you, when this is a big disaster, we need a lot of mental firepower, not a single person. Okay. Yeah. That, I, things would have worked out a lot better if, if you yeah. were in there instead of Fauci. Um, thank you again for your time. Thank you again, seriously, from the bottom of my heart for, for being brave and, and talking truth to power. I wish we had more men like you out there, more, more men who are not afraid to put their personal career on the line to tell the truth. That's not easy. So thank you for that. Um, tell everyone about your book one more time, where they can get it, where they can uh, get more literature from you, follow you on social, all that. Right. So follow me. But I have a link tree, which goes to all the social media. It's petermccullamd.com. That'll take you everywhere. The book is courage to face covid.com. Uh, I got a very active Twitter feed. I'm on all the other social media, mainly Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, go, you can follow me. I issue a report to the nation once a week on America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. It's a very, very popular radio show on twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. It hits the podcast circuit on Tuesday, Apple, iHeart. And follow me on the McCullough Report. You can send in your questions. We curate them. We answer them on a Wednesday session on Pulse. And so America Out Loud is a really, really good platform for truth. And, uh, and people are really, you know, people are gravitating to shows like yours and others where things are not censored. You know, recently I was one of the most mentioned people at the uncanceled, uncensored meeting in Las Vegas. 
Yeah, I can tell you the people who are being canceled and censored, those are the ones that are most interesting. I'm the all-time yes, record, for sure. record holder on Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, so if I was yeah. boring, then I had nothing right. to say. I wouldn't be censored. I think that episode got something like 60 million views or something crazy. Like that's more than CNN gets in a year. That shows you, that gives you some hope that some people, a lot of people want to hear the truth. All right, doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Okay. Be good. Bye-bye.